welcome to episode 302 of the Amy Ehlers Show, where heart-centered, soulful, powerful women come to release self-bullying. I know you're really hard on yourself. I get it. I am too. And we're releasing those ways and we're really embracing the truth of our inner wisdom so that we can create success on our own terms and really feel that sensation of shining and rising in the world. And today we have a very special show for you. It's called Beginning Your Year with Courage. And when I think about the word courage, nobody comes to mind more than my special guest today. I like to call her Kate Courageous. Um, She's also (laughs) known as Kate Swoboda, and she is an amazing human being. She runs yourcourageouslife.com, and she's the director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at teamclcc.com. She's the author of the book, The Courage Habit, How to Accept Your Fears, Release the Path, past and live your courageous life. She helps individuals, teams, companies see where old fear-based habits, which we don't like, that's all about the inner mean girl, y'all. She has them really get out of that place of being stuck and starting to limit what's possible for you as a woman or maybe for your organization. And then Kate really helps people create a more courageous life by getting into the courage habit, which is a four-part process for behavioral and organizational change. And she's going to go there with us today. Kate, my dear, I'm so glad that you're here on the Amy Ehler Show. Thank you so much for being with us. Mm, thank you for having me. And all show notes, everyone, can be found at amyehlershow.com forward slash 302 for today's show. So, Kate, I'm curious um, for you, courage. I mean, hello, such an important thing in life. And I'm curious for you, knowing that this is your specialty, this is your area of expertise, what had you really get into talking about courage? Hmm. Well, I mean, a big thing that I, I say that I think is a little bit different in the self-help space is I don't do fearless. I do mm-hmm. fear, comma, less, as in I don't want to get stuck in my fear, or if there's an opportunity to reframe something so that it, the fear isn't so intimidating, I'd love to use that as a tool, but yes. I don't do fearless. I also don't do like kicking fear's ass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or trying to get rid of it, trying to placate it. Like if I'm just like good, good enough and doing it right, like I'll please my fear into not like coming up. Um, So I don't avoid it. I don't placate it. I don't attack it. Instead, I really seek to be with it and see it as a wound and understand it because, you know, like if you fall down and you scrape your knee, if you avoid giving your knee care, you're not going to heal it. If you baby it too much, you're not going to heal it. And if you attack it, certainly you're not going to heal it. So I really try to get out of like any kind of fear is bad binary and into understanding. And the experience that really brought that home for me was, um, you know, years ago, I, I was, you know, not making a lot of money living in the San Francisco Bay area. I was a teacher Mm. um, paying SF Bay Area rent, which I know you're familiar with. Um, (laughs) Just for people who aren't familiar, it is crazy town. The housing costs here are unbelievable. It's just, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the year that this story that I'm telling takes place, um, I made like 30, 35,000 a year. And my studio apartment 
was I think $900, something like that. Mm -hmm. So you have to imagine that basically almost $12,000 of that 30 grand a year was taken up by real estate. So, wow. you know, very tough, but I, I really had this dream that I wanted to go to Italy for the summer. And it was this huge risk to take in terms of um, financially, just because I still would have to pay rent on my apartment while I was gone. And I would not be able to like take on extra work teaching summer school if I went. And I don't know, I started to spin in my fear. Like, what if I was the first person in the history of the world to go to Italy and not like it, you know, which now seems incredibly <laughs> silly, but you never I'm like, know. how silly of you. What? Everybody loves Italy. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Right. But that but, fear spin started happening and then it's oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I made it happen. I scrimped, I saved, I took on odd jobs. I got a gig to um, write a couple newspaper articles actually. And that was really cool because it got me media accommodations at a couple hotels that were really fancy. It was, it was mind blowing and an incredible experience. And I was like, you know, saying something about it on one of my social media accounts and in hindsight, I call it this great gift. The great gift that I received was somebody coming along and being really wet blankety. Like, well, you know, not everybody can like go to Italy and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And um, at first I was super annoyed. And then it clicked for me. The great gift is that I happened to know this person and I happened to know like what their job was and about how much money they made. And I knew that they lived in a far less expensive part of the world um, than me. And they had like three weeks paid vacation every year. I didn't have any of that. They had a husband who made almost as much money in salary as they did. I mean, probably a hundred thousand dollar a year you know, dual income household in a less expensive part of the world. And, you know, as we say in the Bay Area, I got a download. Mm -hmm. And like something clicked that the difference between myself and this other person wasn't like the degree of desire. It was that I had been willing to sit with the discomfort and the willingness to take a risk that actually this person had a lot more by way of a social safety net than I did but I had been willing to take this risk. And this isn't like a condemnation of that person. You know, mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think that it's, it's, you know, per, not very compassionate and also just not very helpful to be like, Oh my God, they're so lame. Right. Um, it's, it's more so just with the value that I had of really realizing, Oh, like if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. And and that's going to require courage. And that I, I hadn't, it wasn't that I wasn't afraid. I had totally been afraid. It was that I had just been willing to keep moving forward. And then I started doing that thing where like, in, I could see a lot of other things in my life in hindsight, in the exact same way, risks I had taken and gone, oh my God, every single time I've taken a risk, I've been really afraid but I've been willing to lean into that fear or sit with the discomfort. And that's what makes the difference. It's not about being fearless. It's about, are you willing to be with the discomfort that fear brings up? That's courage. I love it. I mean, everyone who's been a listener for a while knows that this is one of the things that I teach with the inner mean girl work and with the work that I do with women with regards to leadership is I always like to say, 
your intermingle, you can't kill off your intermingle. Nice try, right? Which really the intermingle is just an embodiment of fear in my eyes. And sometimes she just needs some love and she gets to be in the car of your life, but she just doesn't get to be in the driver's seat. And it's not that she's not going to be there because I feel like especially women have this fantasy in their minds that when those external circumstances change, then they're not going to feel afraid. Then they're not going to have their inner mean girl attacks. And you know, and I know that that's not true at all. Women are hard on themselves. Women are, have fear come up. Women have inner mean girl attacks despite their external circumstances. And so it's just so interesting to know that this is part of the human experience. It's not just women, of course, men have it too, shows up in different ways. And I, I believe, but it's like really getting to know your fear and not having it stop you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I I take like a slightly different like lens on the concept of, you know, what fear's doing in that moment, even Mm -hmm. like, I don't think that fear is attacking. I actually think that fear is your best friend with lousy communication skills Uh and that because it's a wound, it is just trying to keep itself from further wounding. And if what it needs to do to keep you from further wounding is attack you and tell you to shut up and sit down and don't you dare go after that dream or you're a selfish bitch, right. it's going to do that. Right. And if what it needs, and this is part of like how I see fear shape-shifting, right? Because like not everybody has the voice in their head saying, shut up and sit down. Who do you think you are? Some people have fear that shows up as this like, super tricky self-sabotage and it's still fear yep. that's saying, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, you don't really need to follow through on that commitment to right. go to CrossFit four times this week. Like you went twice. That's enough. Right. And then later, you know, I'm annoyed with myself for not being accountable because I, you know, I get a lot of joy out of every time I manage to like get another five pounds on that freaking barbell at CrossFit. Why did I sell out on myself? <laughs> right. Or, you know, not speak up, you know, like, oh, I don't want to, you know, like ripple any waves. Like, I don't, I don't want to stir anything up by bringing that up with that person. And then later it's like, you know what? I chose courage over, I chose comfort over courage. Right. And it's like what fear is doing in those moments is going in essence. I think if fear could talk, it would be going, I've been really hurt. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, like, I'm actually really smart about how to not get hurt again, clamp you down, control you, tell you not to take the risk. Yeah. So I, I don't look at it as like fear is attacking so much in those moments as I do like, oh, well, let me back up. I do see that fear attacks, but I don't think that its intention is to attack. I think its intention is actually like a couple layers down. It's trying to just do whatever it can to like have armor on and not get hurt again. It's very self-protective. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing that I think is so interesting about our fears, our inner critics, uh, like all of this stuff is that there are these mechanisms to protect us. Mm -hmm. And so when we can honor that and then not let them stop us from taking the risk, from going big, that's when the magic happens in my mind, is it's like when we can see it for what it really is and it doesn't become the enemy Yes. Yes. Making fear into an enemy is, is a big one. And it's one that like is really common in our culture because we, there's a tendency for people to like 
having an identified villain, you know? Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> but like, you know, one of the biggest things I encourage people to, to do, to think of is like, imagine that your fear is like your 10 year old self. And it's shocking mm. to me how many times I've worked with clients and it's like, where do you think, you know, like the most pivotal time in a lot of people's lives really ends up being that eight, nine, 10 range, because somewhere in there, maybe 11 to somewhere in there, that space between like young, young childhood and adolescence, that is when it seems like a lot of people experience this, this reckoning that like, oh my God, my parents actually don't have it all figured out and they can't always protect me. Bad things do happen to good people. Mm. It's freaking terrifying, I think. Yeah. And I think that, um, there's this, this way that in self-help people tend to talk about, you know, kicking fear's ass, telling your fear to shut up, you know, you know, all this stuff, you know, tell your fear to take a hike. And it's like, would you ever say that to a nine-year-old? Right. Would you ever say, you know, cause nine and 10 year olds, they do all kinds of stuff like act out and quote unquote attack. Right. But, but like tuned in parents understand that that's not who their children are. It's how their children are behaving when they don't feel they have another skill at their disposal for how to manage what they feel in that moment. Mm. I mean, it's, it's toddler 101. Toddlers right. are not, you know, awful demon children. They just start like hitting, kicking, screaming because in that moment they don't have the skill set of emotion regulation. So again, that's, it goes back to this idea that what we need to do with the, with the emotions that we have trouble with is expand our skill set. And I, I think too that, you know, everybody talks about, I want to love myself unconditionally. You cannot love yourself unconditionally if you're going, well, I'm going to love every part of myself, except for that part over there, that, that right. bitchy mean girl fear. <laughs> she doesn't get right. any of my time. Right. She can just go F off. Right. It's like, no, 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 no. You wouldn't talk that way to a nine or 10 year old. So don't talk that way to your fear because your fear is like really just a scared nine or 10 year old. Totally. I, well, and I feel like and I'm curious about this for you in your work, Kate, because knowing that we're living in times right now that are really scary in a lot of ways, whether it's like what's going on with the environment, you know, we just had all those terrible, terrible wildfires in California where you and I live the, you know, just what's going on in the environment alone, let alone what's going on in the political environment with immigration, like all of these really scary, scary things are going on in the world. And I'm curious for you, what impact that's had on your clients and in the coaches that you train at the Courageous Living Coach Certification Program? Hmm. Oh, I might unpack this a bit. And if I yeah. kind of get lost, just steer me back in. Okay, I will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, like, I have been trying to be as transparent as possible about going, you know what, 2016 election. Pro so I have always been very politically active, mm. but I totally had this idea prior to the 2016 election business and politics should be separate. Mm. And, you know, I've always given, I've always been mouthy <laughs> sometimes to, to my detriment. You know, I've, I've, I've always, um, 
yeah, I've called my senators and reps and, and the whole shebang, you know? And then the 2016 election happened and I really had to have a reckoning around being one of those white women Mm -hmm. because that was what I really saw in myself was I was one of those white women who, because I was not the most vulnerable population being impacted by like the current administration's policies, I had spoken up, but only to a degree that it had been comfortable mm-hmm. and only to a degree that, you know, I wanted to like play nice, you know, that's what this whole keep business and politics separate is like really all right. about. Right. And that was when I really realized my mistake and my failing. And it's one that I feel like, you know, there aren't enough apologies that I can offer because now my point of view is that business and politics are not separate. The personal has always been political and vice versa. And it is imperative that actually we create a culture where everywhere someone looks, if the only news they're watching is Fox News, where everywhere someone looks, they see other viewpoints so that they can consider alternatives. Mm. So when it's about the fear that people are feeling, I think there are a couple things going on. I think that there is some very difficult fear-based work that a lot of people who have privilege are really afraid of doing. Mm-hmm. And I understand why. You're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Yep. You're afraid of finding out things about yourself that really have you go, whoa, <laughs> I was not living my values. There are all kinds of things that you're af- afraid of uncovering, and I get that. But there are people who are dying who right. need you to actually do that work. So there's that personal work that I think is really important to do. And later in, in us talking today, if we start talking about the courage habit process, I can actually talk about how that can be applied to activism and social justice, because I think courage to build resilience is hugely important. The resistance needs your resilience. But then there's this other piece about navigating the fear that I think is about going who do I want to be? And as I'm asking myself who it is that I want to be, okay, um, how does it go beyond me? And that's another scary, scary place, right? Because, you know, people like to go, I'm really open-minded. Mm-hmm. But often, I mean, well, maybe I'll just speak for myself. I often feel very open-minded until someone literally, like, nails me on something that I actually haven't been taking into consideration that's mm. wrong. That's a viewpoint that I need to correct that is grounded in, you know, white supremacy or classism or ableism or fat phobia or whatever it might be. Like I, I love to speak out until the moment when it's like, Oh, right. I'm right. centering myself in this discussion. Mm. So mm. there are all these different threads that are happening with the fear that people feel. Um, and I think that, you know, doing what you can to process through the feelings that you are feeling is important. It's an important aspect of fear. And that's what I just keep, you know, pointing myself back to. Like, my job is actually not to center myself or to get so self-centered about the fear I feel that I don't stand up for the rights of other people. Um, And this is, you know, people are like, well, I still feel like politics and personal should be separate. It's like, no, it is personal. I think Natalie Lussier 
from Access uh, Ambition Ally. I don't know uh-huh. if she, you've met her. I haven't um, met her, but I know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. Her husband, she's been public about this. Her husband, Robin, was recently prevented from re-entering the country um, after he's he's not a naturalized citizen. He wasn't born here. Um, but he does have all his paperwork in order completely. And because of the current administration's policies, he was prevented from re-entering the country after going to Canada to visit family for a wedding. Natalie has been running her entire business and being a single parent to her child. Her child cannot see her father right now. Wow. This is not just happening to someone else out there who didn't follow the rules. This is a perfect example of how these these policies can be really, really harmful for people. So this is exactly why we need to really all look at ourselves and what we're contributing and and go, okay, like my fear about doing this wrong cannot be the thing that keeps a little baby girl from being able to see her father. Right. I love everything that you said, Kate. And you know sorry, I get a little soapboxy about <laughs> No, I think it's so important and I you know this is a topic that I've talked about a lot on the Amy Ayler show and when the show used to be called the Mama Truth Show. Um, I did a whole race relations series and really dove into it and really discovered, you know, with horror, my own white fragility, mm-hmm. like in ways that I was like, oh my gosh. And it's been really wild to look in the mirror. And I feel like I'm just at the beginning of educating myself. I'm taking a course right now on social justice with our mutual friend, Andrea Owen. Her and I are taking it from this incredible guy named Dr. T. Um, And it's just been so eye-opening. And I really want to encourage all of you that are listening right now to really take a look at this. And as we talk more about their courage habit and Kate's work, to put it through the framework of social justice, to put it through the framework of how can you have those courageous conversations, whether it's at the dinner table with your uncle or, um, you know, going to a march, um, you know, or whatever it is that is that you're inspired to do so that we can really create the change that we need. Because you're right. I remember I did a Facebook live live called, please do take this personally. (laughs) This was a while ago because I was like, it's only when it happens to people personally that things change. And it's just, I, I find it so fascinating. I had a relative that was always like, well, no, you know, gay people can love who they love, whatever, but marriage is just for a man and a woman. And then lo and behold, a next door neighbor moved in and they were a gay couple. And then all of a sudden this, you know, this relative of mine realized, oh wait, they, they like don't have the same rights when they go to, if one of them is admitted in the hospital, they're not getting the same tax thing as us as a married couple. And then his views totally changed because it was personal. Or you look at even Ronald Reagan, who was completely against stem cell research. And then all of a sudden he gets diagnosed with Alzheimer's and then they're for stem cell research because it's personal to them. So it's like really looking at what are those things where when it's about them and the people that you don't know, and especially if it's about people that don't look like you, we have a way of dehumanizing and keeping people as separate. And I just feel like in this world right now, in this country, especially in the US of A, we need more humanity, more compassion, and really stopping the thing of dehumanizing, even if it's someone that is on the other side of the political spectrum as you. It's just not doing any of us any good to do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's such a difficult problem to untangle 
because each side is looking at the other going, I don't see how you can think that way. I just right. don't understand why, you know, especially because there's research coming out. I just saw something today. I think it was by NPR. And I think the title was four myths about immigration. And it was all this stuff about, you know, it's like a myth that immigrants don't contribute right. to the fiscal bottom right. line of a country. Right. Like they actually right. add a lot. Right. Um, it's, it's just, it, it, you know, on and on and on. And I, so I look at those who are anti-immigration and I go, I just don't understand like what you're so threatened by, but they're looking, I try to keep understanding that they are looking at me going, I don't understand why you're not more threatened by this. Right. It makes no sense to me that you're not more threatened by this. Right. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to, for, for everyone to navigate. Yeah. Well, and knowing that, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because of your work and courage and knowing that this work is courageous and for all of us that are listening here in the new year, really looking at how can we be more courageous in every aspect of our life with social justice issues, definitely, and with our own personal goals, the things that we want to create in our lives, where is that fear holding you back and how can you really start to create more of a courage habit as you talk about it? So Kate, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what the courage habit is, what this four part process is and how people can start utilizing that for themselves and for the world this year. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we usually think about, um, courage as being like, you know, getting up every day and brushing your teeth uh, or sorry, we usually think of habits as getting oh. up. Every day <laughs> I was like, I don't think like, brushing no, your teeth no. is that courageous, Kate. <laughs> like, wow, really low bar. <laughs> so we, we usually think of habits as being this way. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Those like kind of rote daily things that we do. Yeah, exactly. But it turns out that like almost half of our behavior every day, behavior as in like how you respond when your partner is really getting on your nerves. It's actually mm -hmm. habitual. Right. We don't think about that stuff, but that's actually the case. And what I found, and this is all research backed. I mean, like it, it was such a great, I'll tell like the little teensy story behind the courage habit name. So I get a book contract and I suggest the title when I'm talking with my editor for, of The Courage Habit. I had a different title initially. And I'm thinking just like courage habit as in like, let's practice courage every day. Good, you know, good thing to do. Right. But it ended up being in a fit of procrastination. Um, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start researching. Like how does habit formation actually work? And I start going down this rabbit hole. Suddenly I'm, you know, obsessed with, I mean, I've always been kind of a nerd when it comes to the sciencey things. And I love it when science and personal growth intersect, when it's like the woo personal growth love stuff that coaches are famous for. Yeah. Actually has a scientific basis in the brain. I'm, I know. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm high for sister. That. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll read textbooks. That's how much of an exciting person I am. I have textbooks. Just to, I, That's I your leisurely textbooks. reading. <laughs> like, I, awesome. I like it. I, I never left school. I mean, now it's kind of, you know, my own personal courage, you know, school that I've got going on here. Um, so I began obsessively researching habit formation. And what got me super excited was realizing that for years, I had been saying that fear is feeling afraid, diving in any way, and transforming. And 
I got really excited when I saw that how habits work in the brain is on a cue, routine, reward loop. Cue, feeling afraid. Routine, responding to that cue by deciding to dive in anyway. Reward, transforming. And I was like, oh my gosh. So when people are stuck in a fear-based habit loop, they feel the cue of fear and they go into a routine that is fear-based. And there are four predominant fear patterns. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, pessimism, self-sabotage. Mm. If I am afraid, if I set a big goal, like I'm going to write my memoir and I'm afraid and I feel that cue of fear and I go into a routine like perfectionism, I will get a reward for a little while. It's short term. I'll feel in control, da, 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 but I'll burn out. It's the perfect way to actually have fear protect me from the intimidation of, of going after that big personal goal. Same thing with like people pleasing. I see moms do this a lot. Mm -hmm. Really, really, really want to start a business, become a coach, whatever it might be. Feel that fear of, of uh, feel that cue of fear, go into people pleasing. Oh, I can't take this time for myself. My kids really need me right now. What happens? You get the reward. It's short term. The reward is whatever decreases that feeling of stress or intimidation when you go after what you want. So to interrupt a habit cycle in your brain, you have to recognize the cue of fear and you have to insert a different routine. And the different routine that I found in the research could be any of these four behaviors, all four together, most powerful, but they are access the body, listen without attachment, reframe limiting stories, and reach out and create community. And I can break down what each of those are, but to sum it all up and tie it together, in essence, when you feel fear, if you, instead of going into the fear patterns, decide, okay, I'm really afraid right now, I'm going to access the body or listen without attachment or reframe limiting stories or reach out and create community, you will get a bigger reward. And that is resilience. Mm -hmm. It is the ability to go, okay, I might still be afraid. I'm not bypassing it, but I, I think I'm going to be able to do this. So when we look at fight, flight, freeze, as a response when something scary is happening like where where does that fit in like i'm curious about trauma because I, I know like with working with so many different women over the years and men as well that there's also this piece of trauma that can get triggered and then people can go into fight flight freeze how does that fit into what you just said well i'll be a, a little bit limited in how i can speak to that because you know, trauma gets into some of the, the, um, the nervous system, right? And when the nervous system takes over, that's a little bit different than just like sitting at your computer and you need to, you know, you want to write an email to pitch yourself out to somebody right. and feeling like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to right. say. That's, that's right. a different, you know, when, when the, the nervous system takes over and starts to shut you down in the case of um, freeze or, you know, put you into an attack mode, um, that can be a little bit different. But the way that I think of it, so there was this, this noted feminist psychoanalyst named Karen Horney who said that some of the primary ways that we deal with our relationships is, you know, this, this avoiding pleasing or attacking. That's how mm -hmm. we interact. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so when, when there's dysfunction in the relationship and, and I began as part of my research for the courage habit going, you know, is that true for fear? And that's what I really found is that how people relate to fear is that avoiding placating or attacking, which we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. And I think that freeze, fight, or flight can have a similar connection to avoiding pleasing or attacking. So, right. you know, um, of, you know, obviously flight would be avoiding. Right. Um, freezing could be a form of placating because like if somebody's about to do something to you and you just kind of like, all right, I have no control here. So I just have to like succumb to their whims. That that's a, a form of placating you could say. And then of course fighting is attacking. Um, I don't think I, I don't want to like, I want to stay in my lane always. Yes, yes, yes. Totally. <laughs> I'm really careful about like, yes. you know, being ethical about like how coaches talk about behavioral right. uh, responses because yeah. I feel like there are probably some psychotherapists out there who are like, oh, geez, another <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to do that. Yes, I'm totally. in my lane. Yes. I'm saying this is the connection that I see. Yeah. So you know, people have asked me similar questions, you know, about phobias. Well, what about mm -hmm. a phobia? Mm -hmm. I go, well, you know, a phobia, again, involves the nervous system. You know, um, if somebody's phobic about like snakes, raising my hand on that one, I have a mild clinical phobia to snakes where like I'll get a rush of adrenaline and I like hate being near them, seeing them. Right anything. I mean, it's not a classic phobia because I can regulate myself, but it's a little bit of it's there. You know, that's a nervous system takeover that happens. And that's a little bit different, again, than emotional or psychological fear, which is what I consider myself to have learned a lot about, which is right. that fear of, am I enough? The fear of um, comparisons, the fear of being rejected, the fear of failure and not being yeah. able to recover from failure. So say the four fear routines again, it was pleasing, perfectionism, perfectionism mm -hmm. people pleasing, which I also call martyrdom, mm -hmm. um, pessimism and self-sabotage. So everyone that's listening right now, just listen to those four. Like as you feel into that, which one is your go-to? Oh yeah. Right? Like, do you go into that perfectionist trap? Do you go into the people pleasing trap? Do you just go into plain old self-sabotage? Or what was the fourth one? Or do, pessimism. You, go, or do you go into pessimism, right? Pessimism is like, uh, you know right. what? What's the point? It it's not even going to work out. Right. It's not going to work out. Right. And I like to say too, we all do all of them. I do right. all of them. But usually one of them is like a bigger hook than the others. And totally. I'm like a classic perfectionist over here. Right. And I do this thing where like I'll, I'll get into perfectionism and then once I'm burnt out, swing wildly over into pessimism. Right. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, I've said this before and, and somebody's like, well, you know, how do you call yourself Kate courageous if you like still do this? And my answer is that the courage is not about like, let's all move out of the perfectionistic model. It's not right. you're over there in the land of never being afraid. So you're courageous and, or you're in the land of like fear still hooks you. So you're not courage is the willingness to sit with the discomfort. So this is presence. This is intentionality. This is going, you know what? I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to get hooked by fear. And that's why 
I think the courage habit tools of accessing the body and listening without attachment, reframing limiting stories, reaching out, these are so important because no one can do it alone in a vacuum. No one will do it perfectly. So we need tools to keep ourselves centered in the direction we want to go. So as you're really setting your intentions, really going into that dream space, and I like to really think of the entire month of January as our dreaming time. It's that time for really being in the hibernation state of going in and really dreaming. What is this year going to be about for you? Look at those four different habits that Kate is um, talking about here and really look at, like, as you look at what those intentions are, how can you go to your body? How can you reframe things? How can you go out to community? How can you actually take those habits with you? And as you look at those intentions, you may even go, okay, this one for sure, I really need to get some community involvement. I need some support around this one over here. Maybe it's one that's a real stretch for you as you go into the new year, if you are setting intentions, which I highly recommend doing, right? Those desires, those intentions, like really looking at, okay, who is it that you want to be this year? Who is it that you want to become? And how can you become even more courageous? This, this is gold, Kate. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I know that we're wrapping up here. I wanted just to, because I know that there's often people that are listening to the show that are considering becoming a coach, looking at different coaching programs. I get asked that a lot about what coaching programs I recommend. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about Courageous Living and that certification and what you do there. And people, you can go to amyaylorshow.com forward slash courage to check out more about Kate's coaching school. But I'd love for you to just share a little bit about that because I have a feeling there might be some people listening that might be interested in that. Sure. Um, I mean... I, wow. It's like pulling uh, pictures of your kid out of your wallet. And it's like, people are going to need to like stop you from talking. (laughs) It is, it is such a delight. So the program began, we had our first year in 2014 and I spent, you know, all of 2013 researching coaching programs. And the impetus for it really was that I used to do business uh, coaching for people and they would they would talk to me about business issues and over and over again i was seeing that it wasn't a business issue it was actually skill set related like i would get someone for instance who would say that they felt really discouraged because they had uh, you know a one off a discovery session intro session with a client and that client had started to cry and get emotional and they didn't really know what to do so they had to refer the client out Clearly that's a case for therapy, right? Mm. And I'm sitting here going, no, not always actually. And what really emerged was that I wanted to create coaching as more holistic. There's a lot of rewards and consequences and goal setting and getting really attached to the metrics along the way for finishing the goal Mm. that can happen in the coaching industry. And I went, well, wait a second. What about way of being? Mm -hmm. Uh, What about clients who like, it's their way of being that needs to shift. And what is this crazy idea we have that if someone has some emotion come up, that it automatically means that they aren't a candidate for coaching. Oh my goodness. Ever had a whole 24 (laughs) hours go by where you didn't have any emotion. Right. You know, or have you ever had a week? I mean, I cry at least once a week. Mm -hmm. I'll cry out of frustration. I cry when I see, um, 
you know, toddlers getting tear gassed. I cry when there's yeah. a natural disaster, like, yeah. you know, and it's not a sign of weakness. So there's this, this whole idea, this whole mentality that I wanted to unpack. And so I began to research the industry. I actually was in touch with the ICF, International Coach Federation, about their standards and core competencies. And I went, you know, I think the core competencies are actually really sound, but can I meld them in with something that's more heart-centered? Mm. And I sometimes think of our program as being like, um, and this is not, you know, necessarily what, uh, you know, I have no idea if Brene Brown would agree, but I like to think of our program as being like, you know, all the work that people read a book by Dr. Brene Brown and they're like, oh my God, this is so great. I want to be vulnerable. I'm going to be courageous. I want to be more resilient. But like in life, it's actually harder <laughs> to yeah. do. It's more fun to read about than right. to do. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> let's have people working on themselves as the basis of how you learn. And I tipped the learning model on its head. So instead of you're going to help a client with their fear with these three different interventions, it's what are you afraid of? No, really, mm. what are you afraid mm. of? Mm. And how are you going to work through that fear? And let, you know, like, let's work through your fear because the more you do to open up you, the more equipped you'll be to be empathetic and open-hearted and vulnerable for your clients who are in that, as well as to see the broader map of how someone can navigate being stuck in their fear and getting unstuck. Mm. So those are just a few components. We, you know, we have an in-person retreat. It's included. We have marketing training because it is important to know how to talk about what you do. We integrate the ICF core competencies. We actually model our final certification after what the ICF requires of people to become awesome. certified. So um, it's been an incredible journey. And as of us recording this interview, we're going into our sixth year. Awesome. 99% graduation rate last year. It's, it's amazing. We had people from all over the United States, a bunch of different countries flying in to do the retreat. Then we moved to like a, a tele, tele learning model after that. It's, it's just been incredible. So as awesome. you can see, I'm very excited. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm glad because we need to be excited about our work. And I love what you're doing, Kate. So again, you can go to amyaylorshow.com forward slash courage if you're interested in checking out Kate's Courageous Living Coach Certification, which sounds amazing. And I have one final question for you, Kate. It's something that I ask all my guests on the Amy Ayler Show. And that is what's messy and what's magical about your life these days. Hmm. So it's the same thing. Uh -huh. um, I got it. <laughs> I'm in a growth point in my business, like, mm -hmm. like getting the courage habit, getting a book deal. I shared this with you guys in the mastermind. It felt like before I got the book deal, like it was the biggest thing that would ever happen to me in my career. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really dream beyond when that would happen. And then now it's happened and it's so great. It's as great as everyone says it is. And at the same time, there's this open space that is yet to be filled. And so I am updating until I really know like what my next big vision is. I have been updating so many things on the back end of my business that it literally is like a completely different business right now than it was a year ago. Mm. And there are times where I have decision fatigue. 
Like it's the best place to be. I'm creating, 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 but it's also decision fatigue where it's like, I have to make another decision about a policy or tech that we're going to adopt or something. And there are times where I definitely want to be like, okay, like I just, can you just decide? I don't even know, but I can't do that because it's me, you know? Yes. So it's like the, the messy and the magical are both in this growth point where I don't know what I'm doing. I get afraid, I get triggered, but at the same time, I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. Beautiful. So with that, I want to say thank you so much to Kate. I want to remind all of you to notice those places where what happens when the cue of fear comes up and where you go to and how you can start really cultivating a courage habit in every area of your life and continuing to cultivate that courage around social justice issues, the things that are most important to you, and really continue to shine your light because I know that you'll agree with me, Kate, we need more and more women leaders to rise and not just any women leaders. I, w- I really want to see women leaders that are heart-centered, that are in tune with their heart, that are in tune with compassion, rising in every sector imaginable, whether you're in the corporate sector or the political spe- sector or entrepreneur or your stay-at-home mom that is doing this for her family and volunteering at school, whatever landscape you're in, I just... I just keep envisioning more and more and more women rising. And so keep that in mind. Keep being courageous. And with that, it's Amy Ehlers signing off, reminding you that if you enjoyed today's show, please go and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It means the world to me. I read all the comments, and I love being able to have that happen so that more and more women that are ready to stop self-bullying can come and join us here on The Amy Ehlers Show. So with that, bye-bye, everyone.